Welcome to the Homegirls. Four top producing mega realtors, moms, wives, and friends talking about real estate and real life. Angela, Kristen, Jessica, and Lindsay are in the top 1% of all real estate agents and would be honored to receive your real estate referrals in Colorado. Join us as we drop a new episode every Monday anywhere podcasts are aired, in real life on YouTube, and connect with us every day on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HomegirlsCO. Thanks for listening. We love you. Hey guys, it's your homegirls. We are here today with my real estate coach, Stacey McVeigh out of Cleveland, Ohio. Whoop, whoop. I'm so excited. Thanks for coming on today and talking about all the things to us. Absolutely. I get to hang with the cool kids this morning. That's going to make it fun. I don't know for the cool kids. We're some kind of kids, but I don't know about <laughs> Um, so why don't you start us off with like a little bit about yourself, your background, where you've been, what you've done, what you've seen, all the goods. Sure. How about not all the goods? Okay. <laughs> highlights. Okay. So, um, I've been licensed for 29 years selling real estate. I am a third generation real estate agent. Um, it's kind of been in my family all this time. So I grew up around it. And I started selling and eventually over time uh, was fortunate enough to become a team leader uh, for seven years for the largest market center that Keller Williams had in the state of Ohio. So that was very exciting and challenging. And now um, growing a coaching company with great clients like yourself. Um, but really our passion here is agent development, professional development, personal growth, and really helping people succeed at a high level. Um, I think that's the most important conversations that we can be having in leadership in our industry. So that's what I focus on. So was there ever a time in your life that you didn't want to be a real estate agent? Like being a third generation realtor if you're around it all the time, did you like hate it as a child or resent it? And this was just a natural path? I didn't resent it because there was no cell phones back then. I think if my parents had been dealing with the crap that I deal with <laughs> during transactions, it might've been different. Um, but honestly, they were um, really involved in buying larger um, like homes or small commercial buildings and dividing them up into apartments. And so I saw it from an investment standpoint first which was really a lot of fun to watch growing up. And that's when, I mean, they were investing and speculating. We're talking about double digit interest rates, doing something that wasn't like on HGTV all the time. They were really blazing trails. So I grew up with that. Um, my uncle was a real estate broker. My grandmother was a broker. So it's just been fun, I guess, growing up around it. And I didn't have those feelings of, oh, I wanna do anything but what my parents did. Does that make sense? So it's, it's been a joy and there's enough paths in this business that there's always something interesting happening. So you just triggered something for me. So you've been in the business quite a long time before cell phones, before the crazy <laughs> internet got crazier. Yep. Would you go back to that? There are definite skills that I think um, a realtor who was successful at that time brings to the table that agents today don't have the benefit of learning. We didn't have right. So if you go back to that time, you know, we talk now so much about creating great content and, and uh, 
you know, providing value. We were doing that in different ways. We had to be expert ad writers. We had to be really good on the phone uh, and flipping calls and converting people on the phone and how we would relate. So the other thing was, you know, we got to present our offers in person. So I wasn't really relying on the co-broke to be awesome in any particular situation. It could be their first day on the job. It didn't matter to me because I could sit and present an offer to their clients or receive their offer and help my clients, you know, kind of determine whether or not that was a, a good um, transaction for them. But we don't really have that anymore. We rely so much on just sending information back and forth via text. And we've really lost that um, opportunity to validate our skills and our expertise by showing up personally. Would you say that it was more of a nine to five type of job back then than it is now, because with the cell phones we have now, I mean, we're literally answering our phones at nine, 10 o'clock at night. We're negotiating contracts. We're negotiating inspection items at nine, 10 o'clock at night. It was it like that then. Um, I think it was harder then because oh. um, if I can admit to you, I told you nothing was off limits today. Um, and I'll share with you embarrassing facts about Stacy circa mid nineties, real estate sales. Um, <laughs> I couldn't wait to upgrade my vehicle to a brand new Volvo 940 wagon because it had fun warmers in it. <laughs> the reason this is <laughs> important, ladies, is because we used to drive over to the client's house. We would, you know, go in with four copies of the offer, sit down with the agent, the other people, we would present it. And then they'd tell you, okay, you can go wait in your car. We're going to meet and talk about this and then we'll call you back in. So because I live in Cleveland where it's freezing all the time, it was great because I could actually stay warm in the car, right? And it had a, a place in the console for my roll of quarters, which was, okay, I'm going to call my buyer with a counter offer and you drive to the nearest payphone because I knew where all of those were. And <laughs> put the window down just far enough to get the thing through the, yeah, through the window and, you know, present it to your buyer. And then you drive over to your buyer's house and you get the initials and, it was just a very different time. So was it nine to five? No, the blessing you have now versus then is you don't have to leave your house, you know, as busy moms and wives, you know, we're, we can be at least physically present where I would actually had to be out more, if that makes sense. My husband was a real estate agent back in the early 2000s. And he always says that realtors today have no idea what real work is like in this business. And he always says to me, he's like, you can map quest or, you know, use your GPS or what I just said map quest, like it was 2005 PS by the way. Um, but he has always said that you can, um, even just GPS. He said, I used to have to carry a map in the car and map my way around the house or the, around the city. You guys have no idea how easy it is. No. And then depending on where you lived or where you were showing, you would probably do a dry run because mm -hmm people were in your car at that time, you know, that was the other thing that was different. Like you're driving people around. So you don't want to be making wrong turns. You know, part of our value proposition back then was being intimately familiar with the area. And other than being out driving in it, there was no way to be, you know, really proficient at routing. So we did the same thing. We had the red map books, you know, they were always in the back of my car. It was insane. It really was. It was a very different time and much more time consuming. So we do take a lot for granted now. The good news is now we can be so much more productive and be present, you know, for our families. So it's, 
it's a mixed bag. Some of it we lost some of the skills in that interpersonal uh, relationship with the client and the co-broke we've lost. However, we've gained some convenience along the way. Right. But that's so much of your coaching alongside with Shannon Sear, who was on the show a couple months ago, is, is exactly that, the systems to gain your time back, but to still have those relationships with your clients. So let's talk about that for a second. What are some of your, like just rapid fire, what are some of your favorite systems that you like to train around? I think the best systems that an agent can start with as far as um, increasing their productivity is having a really great lead follow-up system. You've got to have something that you can fire off really quickly that can answer people's questions, allow them to learn more about you and, and relate to you in those moments where we might be with another client or we might be with our families or doing something like that. Um, you know, when people are off of work, that's when they're calling us and that's when we want to be done for the day, right? So you've got to have things that you can quickly deploy and systems in place that can respond to those leads, even if you're not able to personally respond to them in the moment. Um, lead follow-up is really where it's at. If you wanna see a difference in your business this year, um, you're gonna to have to be on top of it, be really quick and be really thorough. Give people great resources to tap into while they're waiting to hear back from you. Hmm. So, so, and I'm going back to like back then to like now, because when I came in, I came in right at where our electronic contracts were coming in. Like I was, I was working front desk and I was still peeling off. There was carbon copies. I was peeling off contracts and this one went to title company. This one went to this person. Like I, that's what I was doing. That's when I came into real estate. What would you what would you bring back from then? What would you to kind of slap the new realtors in the face now to say, Hey, like you have it good. Like, what would you bring back? What would you make a new agent do that you did back then that they don't do now? I would make a new agent learn to present their offers, present their contact, their contracts. I think knowing really how to communicate with people and listen for opportunities to get to the bottom of what they really need to know. There's the questions they ask and then there's what the, the point they're really trying to get to. So when you're on a spot like that and you're sitting at the kitchen table and both of those clients who are not your clients, they're the sellers or whatever, and you know you have to be ready to answer anything and everything and know what you're doing. You don't have a minute to go, uh, you know, and text your friend for an answer. So the one thing that I, I really see that's missing is the ability to have a conversation rather than, you know, just spewing stuff at people and thinking technology can answer all of people's questions. People still, you know, want to hear from you. They want to hear you answer the question. They want you to provide them with the resources that are going to solve their problems. So anticipating the questions they're going to ask. I think that that's just gone by the wayside. Yep. People don't know how to um, deal with one another, especially when things get a little dodgy. Mm -hmm. um, they're really struggling with that. So if there was one thing that I think is a game changer, uh, you know, then versus now is the relationships that they build with other agents with great communication and their ability to communicate with their clients on the fly. That's a really good answer. And that was something that I was looking for because I've been thinking about that the last couple of weeks, like, and I'm guilty of this. Like, you know, when I get a new buyer or I get a, a listing contract here, here's a listing agreement, here you go. And then I'm like, oh crap, like 
I should be sitting there. I should be going over each of these paragraphs with my client because as a realtor, I need to know that contract. I need to know the legalities with it. Right. And it makes me wonder the newer agents these days, if they do that, if like, like that just blows my mind that it's not. Right. And we haven't, like I've noticed as a whole, because we consult not only individual agents, but we have coaching clients that are leading teams and coaching clients that are brokers. Okay. And they're leading offices. <clears throat> and one thing that's consistent is that the basics of being able to, we used to say this, you need to be able to present a contract upside down. And what I mean by that is when you print it out and you slide it across the table, you can go through it bullet point by bullet point. And we also need to acknowledge that some people want to read the whole damn thing. Like they just want to read it. They, yep, yep. They're going to read it all. And then we've got some people that are like, can you just tell me um, you're not screwing me in here anywhere, right? Okay, sign. You know, that that's all they want to know. Correct. So when we when we talk about systems and Jessica brought this up a couple of minutes ago, one of your systems really should be doing a screen recording of your documents. You know, what, what is in your listing agreement and just going over it and then having a link to that in, you know, your communication to the person. So if they're not going to get on zoom and you can't do a screen share, but you just want something out there. So in case you have somebody that wants to do a deeper dive, they can do it. And that way we're giving them the option to learn more. If they don't take advantage of it, that's fine. But at least you're offering it because we don't always have time to go over those things when we're in person. That should be like a, a team requirement. Yep. You see this? This is my <laughs> business planning for this year. It says, what ideas can I use to streamline for video content? The very first bullet point is contracts. Recording yeah. myself going over the contract so that I can email those out so that everybody has access to it at any given time and any given point. Yep. That I can streamline my system and my process for communication. So it's really big. And can I add one thing? Like you guys have state contracts in Colorado, right? So everybody's singing from the same hymn book. Right. Well, that's not the case in every state, right? So in Ohio, every brokerage, every single one has a different purchase agreement. Oh, so wow. Not only do your clients need an explanation, sometimes the co-broke needs an explanation because the, the resolutions or the inspections might get resolved differently from broker to broker. Um, and so, you know, if you find yourself in that situation, it is really, really important to master screen recording. There's free software that you can download for your computer to do it. Um, there's no reason everybody's not using that. And, and especially if you're presenting something like an addendum or, you know, inspection contingency removals where there's like a lot to talk about you've got an inexperienced agent on the other side, why not do a screen recording of that so that you're talking through it and they can use your talking points. You're not just relying on them to have the expertise to communicate that effectively to the seller. And I always record those and say, and please feel free to share it with your client. That's fine too. Um, again, trying in a modern way to get myself back in the situation we were discussing previous. You know, I want to get to the, I want to be in front of the client. I want them to know that I'm handling this and I'll get us through it. So it's just, it's, it's food for thought, but I think we need to really demonstrate our expertise using technology. And that gives us time to have great, you know, interactive conversations, but still provide that in-depth, you know, education, if you will, to each client. I think it should be a requirement. I think that needs to be part of every real estate school. Once you come out, you have to sit there and you have to present a listing agreement. You have to present 
a buyer agreement in front of your broker or in front of somebody so many hours because that's key that is and we're losing it and it's showing and it's literally the entire purpose of our job i mean that's our job is to make sure that we are having these contractual conversations and making sure that we're all abiding by i'm i was fighting all day yesterday with an agent about it specifically asks how many garage remotes in our contract i put two there's none in the house. The agent wanted to know the make and model of my client's cars because they should be able to connect to their car. And I'm like, that has nothing to do with the price of China. Give me the garage remotes. Like, what are we arguing about right now? But yeah. it's simple things like that that are really starting to show big time in this fast moving market where you can tell just how no one seems to care about contracts anymore. No, it's the form you fill out. Exactly. The form you fill out. And, you know, we're, we're hired to market and negotiate, you know, if we're being hired, you know, as a listing agent and the fact that we don't put more time into developing our skills and how to effectively market and how to effectively negotiate blows my mind. It absolutely blows my mind. And I think if John Q public knew how little training (laughs) there was, um, throwing every broker on the planet under the bus now. I don't mean to do that, but the vast majority of people really are lacking in that area. And I, I think that um, it's pretty crazy that we're out there asking for marketing jobs and negotiating jobs and protecting people's equity. And we don't even really know what our contract says. Exactly. I think we, I think our industry lost that. Oh God, I would say in the crash, I would say in the crash, it was lost. And then when the market came back, it got worse because the market came back because it came in hot and you got those firms that were, well, you got to get a buyer. You got to get a seller. If you say this line to them, you're going to get that listing. If you get this listing, you're going to hit this number. If you hit that number, you're going to hit this number. And we got too caught up on our numbers and we got too caught up on what's it going to bring to my plate. And we forgot about well, that plate that's going to feed me, I need to take care of the food that's coming into my plate. And I think that was lost a long time ago and it needs to start changing drastically. I agree with you. And I think that as a whole, when the market gets really um, hot and there's a lot going on and agents are moving fast and brokers are making money, you know, the agents are not nagging them for help. They're not struggling. So everybody's doing good. And I've noticed there's a sort of a tendency to pull back on professional development, right? Because I don't want to pull my people out of field. This is my bread and butter. They need to be out producing. And I don't want to scare the bejeebers out of anybody, right? With all of my talk of potential lawsuits and paper trails, and you've got to make sure you document this and that. So that stuff sort of gets glossed over and um, it's really starting to show like you guys are seeing it in your businesses. These contracts are coming across, half the blanks are empty and they have no idea what they're agreeing to. I've seen fallout rates increase significantly over the last two years where, you know, buyers are just feverish over a listing. They put the offer in. They didn't even really give it a second thought. They can't even remember if there was a master bath or not. You know what I mean? And then they get there at the home inspection because we're only allowed to have 15 minute showings here, you know, in our area anyway, due to COVID. And they're going, oh, no, 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 no. This is not what I thought we were buying, right? It was more about winning in the moment because they're tired of losing in the market. And then once they win it, they don't even know if they want it. 
So there's just a lot to take into consideration. Well, even to piggyback on that, like here in Colorado, our um, division of real estate is backed up almost two years with commission complaints. Mm -hmm. The biggest commission complaints we're having right now is that agents were allowing their clients to, you know, win by not doing inspections, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's how you win is we're just going to do everything and do nothing at the same time. And um, so now we're seeing a lot of fallout from that as well. And like, I always come back to you with my clients, are we doing you a service or are we doing the seller a service when you're on the buyer side? It's right, a seller right. service. This is not meant for you. And we need to always do an inspection. And so it can't be about winning because if it's always about winning, it's always about a lawsuit. That's how I always look at it. Right. Yeah, no, I agree wholeheartedly. The other thing that I'm noticing is agents in our area are somewhat resistant to backup offers. Mm -hmm. It blows my mind. And I'm like, they're just like, well, if it comes back on the market, we'll let you know. Um, how about putting your seller in the driver's seat by being able to tell their primary offer, look, I've got a backup. So if you're going to mess around with the home inspection, I've got a backup. Mm -hmm. They don't do it. And it's amazing to me because I, I feel like to your point, we've just gone with convenience and when it all costs rather than how could we finesse this in such a way that it really is a win across the board? Everybody's protected. Um, and I'm wondering what those texts and emails even look like from agents to their clients about waiving inspections, because someday that's going to come back to haunt people. And it's going to be bad. I think the fallout from the market the last five years, once like all these lawsuits and all these complaints and all these things have really had a time to go through the process. I think we're going to have some really nasty, and honestly, I hope it happens, you know, change within our industry specifically so that we stop acting like this and make our education process harder. And everything about being a real estate agent needs to be a little bit harder. We need to demand more of ourselves and each other without mm -hmm. being like, I try so hard in a transaction not to be like, well, I've been licensed for, you know, <laughs> ever since before you were born. And I don't want to be that person. However, you do have to respect the fact that just because we're older in the business doesn't mean, you know, that we're crotchety or that we don't know what we're doing or we don't understand technology. I had someone ask me if I was familiar with that loop and I'm like, I just want to come through the phone. Is that because I'm an old lady that you said that? Why are you asking me that? Of course, I'm proficient in dot loop. You're like, I'm an OG of dot loop, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, like I was completely shocked. And, but that's, you know, we're, we're kind of assuming that all new agents are dumb, right? And all old agents are dumber. So it's like, <laughs> I, I think that we need to like, look at people individually and say, hey, you know, I'm in this to collaborate with you and for us to get this deal over the finish line. Like, you know, and, and the way you work together is really important. We've absolutely lost that ability to collaborate. And now it's just so contentious out there. That's another thing that I would tell people. You've got to find ways to communicate, even when it's difficult, and mm -hmm. stop with the horn locking on these deals, because it's really stressful for your clients. Our job's to take away the stress, not add to it. Right? Well, we all have the same goal. I think that's always the part that cracks me up. Like, we all have the same goal. Like we all want to get to the finish line and this is how we feed our families. So why are we carrying on like a bunch of friggin' animals to just show each other? Like I didn't do a sewer scope. Cool. Who does that? You know, I don't know. We could go off on this one all night long. I feel like. Yes. That could be an episode <laughs> of its own. Correct. <laughs> that would also be called the home girls get pegged with the 
code of ethics violation. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so, okay, let's take it back to when you were actually, you know, really in production. Yep. Where were you at, like at the height of your career, a team, you have four boys, right? Yep, five. Five boys. So let's talk about that space of your life. Since we're all women and moms on this call, let's talk about that. How did you manage five boys, a booming real estate business, getting into leadership at Keller Williams? What did that look like for you? You have to get really good at time blocking. I know you and I have had conversations about setting some absolute boundaries around time. So I am masterful at hacking my calendar <laughs> and my time. Um, I plan everything. If I was running the carpool to hockey, you know, in with the hockey bags, go to, you know, the open house signs, the lock boxes, like whatever else I had to do. I got really good at that. Um, and just trying to be really efficient. There's a big age difference in my kids. So it wasn't like I had five little ones all at the same time. So my big ones would watch the littler ones that helped a great deal. Um, I worked from home, but really it's about systems and having those things at the ready at all times. I was very clear about what part of my day I could spend doing follow-up that it didn't matter what time it was. Um, so I might, you know, wait till the kids went to bed and then sit up and, you know, just take an hour and clear out my email and set it all to fire first thing the next morning. Um, really batching things together um, made a big difference for me and asking for help. That's mm -hmm. the other thing setting clear expectations with clients about what you can and cannot do and what you will and will not do um, right at the onset does a lot to help um, clear some space to show up as the mom, you know, and the wife and everything else. So I, I think it's really important if you're in that situation where you're juggling, just understand that you can lead generate wherever you are, whether it's volleyball or hockey or cross country or whatever you're doing, like wherever I was, people knew I was a realtor. You know, everything that I could do to double up my time, you know, um, I had, you know, I would work on my laptop in the hockey rink, had a sticker on the back of my laptop, you know, all of that little stuff, letting people know I was a realtor and everybody knew it. And so that allows you to show up the way you want to and still get business and keep it going. Mm -hmm. So what was the transition like from going into production into leadership for you? Like, did you have a team? Did you step away from production completely? What did that process look like for you? Yes. So the opportunity I was offered really started with uh, agents using Facebook uh, to lead generate. And I was doing that because again, everything, if you're a busy mom, everything you do has to be highly leveraged or you don't bother. Right. So I was like, this Facebook thing is genius because this is a database that updates its darn self. I don't have to like keep up with everybody. I can like congratulate everybody, stay in touch. This is so awesome. So I started teaching agents how to do that. And I started training and that sort of got me into being a trainer while I was in production. And then to be a team leader at Keller Williams, um, you have to completely stop being in production. So that was really weird. Everybody, okay, we're the, <laughs> in my market center, we were forbidden to sell property. Um, and I was also in a market center that was like way outside my territory where I was selling to. So there was no way I was going to be able to sell and be a team lead at the same time. There's a little bit of withdrawal that comes from that. And then there's a little bit of people looking at you going, well, you're not in production. How can you help me grow my business? 
that was really weird for me because even in coaching, you know, I am still in the trenches. I want to know, I want to coach from in the trenches. Like I'm seeing the same stuff you're seeing. Let's figure it out together. And that just wasn't the case back then. You know, we just had to completely set it down and focus on professional development and running a profitable business. So that took a minute. And then it took a minute when I stopped doing it. It's just, it's all consuming. So um, it was a good change. I learned a ton, um, but you need to plan for that. If you're ever offered an opportunity and you have to step outside your business, how do you, how do you still run that business? You know, and I was farming out all my referrals at that time. So I kept things going, even though I couldn't actively sell. You didn't have a team though. So you just sent it to agents that you knew, trusted and, and liked. Okay. I'm big on agent to agent referral relationships. This is another thing that I wish we could like bring back mm-hmm. uh, would be relationships with other agents. I, I have great friendships all over. I think that's something everyone should develop. Um, a lot of real estate companies, if it's an agent to agent referral fee, your split's bigger anyway. Um, and I think the experience is better because you can stay in lockstep with that agent that referred you and provide a higher level of service to the client. Um, but we, we would refer everything out and it was great. And everybody wanted to buy my database because my clients were so awesome. Well, of course they're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> they're my friends. Hello. We paid them to be awesome clients, you know, <laughs> but um, it still takes time when you come back into production to reignite that. It just does. It's different. And that happened for Shannon also coming out of leadership into production. Are you doing, you're doing a little bit of production now, right? I do a little, I'm not sure. It's like super part-time. Like I did 30 units this year. That's not a lot. <laughs> so funny. It's like a new agent's like, I would die for 30. Right? Like, it's so funny how like our- But I just say like, to me, that's part-time. I just want to say, if you, if you can't do 30 units part-time and this is managing your time. But 30 units is not a full-time job, just my opinion. I God, we did we did 76 last year, and I feel like that was like, you know, I couldn't double that. Absolutely not. But I just like I feel the same way. Like, but then it just kind of makes you wonder, is it the market? Because let's think about this. Like it wasn't like this 10, 15 years ago when the market crashed. So right. think about it. Like when the market crashes again, because it's going to, who knows when, like. 30 deals may be hard to do. It's all dependent though upon like, I don't know, your business. I mean, right. you can have business in any market. It doesn't, right. that's my belief system. Like I haven't lived through a market crash as a real estate agent yet, but I like to believe that I could still choose to have a business <laughs> if I wanted to. Yeah. So, I, mean, but. I completely agree with you. And I lived it. Um, the first year I took over as team leader, um, you know, I came into an office where everyone was doing short sales mm-hmm. and everyone, nobody wanted listings mm-hmm. because that shit wasn't going to sell. You wanted nope. every buyer, every willing and able buyer that you could get your mitts into. So a complete flip-flop from where we are now. And I did live it. And we grew that market center during that market because we were very responsive to what was going on and realizing what those opportunities were. I think where you get screwed up is when you think that every market doesn't provide opportunities because it does, you know, Jess is absolutely right about that. And I think when we, um, 
hear like the rhetoric online about a crash, I don't think we're going to have a crash. I think periodically we have adjustments just like any you know market, um, but I don't think you're going to have a crash. I think the bigger concern is lack of housing. You know, we're projected to run out of single family housing. You're seeing it in your own market. Like they're not building the super affordable starter homes anymore. Like everything is the move up property. So finding affordable housing and things like that, um, the aging population, where and how they want to live. Um, I don't know that there's going to be a crash in as much as we're, we're definitely going to have a shortage of, of transactions. And I wonder how that's going to play out to your point. If there, is there going to be fewer transactions? So it's like, you know, 30 will be a great year. Right. Do you think that something like that's going to force the agents that aren't producing in a market like we're currently in out of the market? What do you think? I hope so. I hope so. Um, I'm a firm believer and we have way too many agents. And if you're listening to this and I just offended you, um, my goal is not to offend anyone. Mm -hmm. However, I do think the public has a right to expect a certain level of professionalism. And if you're doing one or two deals every year, you are just not as competitive. And I, I would argue all day long that you do not have the skill set needed to represent them at the highest level. You know, do them and yourself a favor and find something you're absolutely wildly passionate about and go do that. That's a better gift to the world. Um, I think the days of this being a, you know, great little part-time gig um, yep. need to be over. Yep. Girl, I am high-fiving you. All Colorado. <laughs> like you are speaking my language right now. Like this is another subject that I can just, I can go on and on about. And I'm I'm not going to name specific people or specific companies, but I will say that trying to recruit and trying to get everybody under your arm and trying to get everybody under your, you know, your money bag here so that you can, you know, get some, some monthly income because you're trying to get all these people to get in the real estate business. I think that screwed it. I think that brought what we're in right now and it blows me away. I think you're really onto something there and I didn't mean to interrupt you, um, but you have to understand the broker business model. And this is why everybody's like, oh my God, you know, you, you, these brokers are just hiring all these bodies, right? And, and you're like, well, why would a broker do that? It exposes them to more risk, you know, all of this. The, the reason is because the lower the production, the average production. So let's talk about the agent who's like, maybe doing 10 to 15 deals in an average, you know, marketplace where maybe their average sale price is like two to 250. That's like pure profit. And that broker really doesn't care a whole bunch. And again, don't mean to throw you all under the bus, but the evidence is, is glaring that you're going to continue to bring in people because that's the highest profit margin you have. You know, they're not, they don't have vendor relationships of their own. They're going to use the brokerage mortgage. They're going to use the brokerage title. It's going to blow up the per transaction profitability. That's the broker business. So when you get top producing agents, you guys have probably changed companies at one point or another. You know what that looks like, right? We're out there pedal our wares. Here's who I am. Here's how many deals I get. And the, you, a top agent, we start to chip away at the company dollar that the broker's going to earn. So, mm -hmm. you know, you have to understand what's driving what we're seeing. And I think it's gonna be very hard to pull back from that. 
-hmm. when, when brokers are driving the decision-making on that. Yep. I agree. I am, was teaching a class, I don't know, like six, seven months ago. I guess it was like a year ago. Time is weird in COVID world. Um, <laughs> and I, I teach this class called Stop Selling, Start Helping. And I was teaching this class at my market center at my office. And I made the comment that I believe my belief system is that an agent should be closing roughly an average of one deal a month, right? So 12 deals a year, an average of one deal a month. That's a consistent paycheck. That's consistently being in your market. That's consistently being out in the world in real estate here in our market. And I offended every single person in that room. And I remember kind of laughing and saying to everybody, if that offends you, then go out and get busy. Like absolutely how to get busy with your sphere, go do that now. And you don't need to be offended. And there is a lot of truth to that statement. We do have agents who are doing, you know, five to seven deals a year in our market. And, you know, I sent Kristen a screenshot a couple of weeks ago of someone who was calling themselves a top, what was it? The top 20% in Denver or something like that. 1% in Denver, I thought. Um, and he had closed seven deals for a total of like 2.5 million. Like we have to stop this lying in this industry too and fluffing. And it's time to just cut through the shit and get real about what this really is. And it's helping people with their biggest investment ever. And you need to be a competent person. You really do. And I think you also need to be competent at providing value for them after they buy when's the right time to sell? How do, what improvements do we make to our home so that, you know, we're not pricing ourselves out of the market when we do sell, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think that, you know, we really need to consider being in relationship for life and we're just not doing that here again, if you're doing five to seven deals a year, maybe you don't even care. Um, but I just, I don't care who's offended. I just don't care who's offended by you saying that that's ridiculous. That's the problem in and of itself. You know what I mean? It's like, if you don't want to make a full-time income doing this, you know, you really need to ask yourself, can I provide the same value, you know, value the same kind of advocacy that someone who does this every day can provide? Just be honest with yourself. And if you're working toward it, that's one thing. But what we're finding is there's a large number of people that just think it's okay. Mm -hmm. And to your point, they're selling five houses in six months and somehow they're the monthly top producer in their office. So it's like, oh, okay, so you get to wear your little, you know, crown around the office for being the queen of mediocrity. Like that's, that's a pretty shallow win. <laughs> I, uh, about, yes. a year, about a year ago, I told my team leader, a year and a half ago, I told my team leader, because he was kind of shoving it down everybody's face that, oh, we got to get these people. We got to get these people. And I said, no, I'm not recruiting. I'm not in the business to recruit. I'm in the business to help people find and sell homes, period, end of story. Like I'm not going to recruit. I've had multiple past clients and multiple family members and multiple friends reach out to me within the last year, two years, basically ever since the market came back. Oh, I want to get my real estate license. Oh, I want to get my real estate license. And I straight tell them, I said, I wouldn't do it. I said, unless you are willing to do this every single day and quit the job that you have and focus on this every single day, four to five hours a day, then get your real estate license. Cause that's what I did. That's what I did. And I think everybody should have to do that. So I stopped, I don't recruit. And when somebody asks me about getting their license, I tell them, no, <laughs> I do. 
I, I just think we need to be more realistic when we're telling people, mm-hmm. you know, what they can and cannot do. And I think at least in my state, we've gone from real estate classes to online. And so that was very timely because that was just before COVID hit. So people aren't even in real dialogue with agents before they get in the business. You know, we come in and interact with the students at the real estate school and stuff, and we could at least answer some basic questions. They don't even know how their compensation works. Like I'm still asked for our team if we um, offer benefits like medical and dental. (laughs) Like it's clear to me people don't know what they're getting into. I was asked one time how we have time to go sit at like bars and restaurants and negotiate transactions all the time. Cause that's what they do on like million dollar listing New York and LA. And I'm like, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I wish sometimes I was sitting at a bar or restaurant with the agent on the other side and got to throw like a martini in their face. And there was a camera crew there to catch it. Cause it would be wonderful, but that's just not real. Well, and then there's a flip side to that too. Like they think it's, they think it's cool to be sitting in a bar drinking and writing a contract where I look at it as a flip light of, well, if I'm in a bar and I'm drinking, I don't want to be negotiating. I don't want to be talking to a client. If I'm on vacation with my family, that's where I want to be. And these people don't understand. You still have to do that. When you're else, they don't understand that you probably were picking up dog shit in your seller's backyard prior to this. (laughs) to get their house ready for listing. Scraping and painting. (laughs) I've been a cat litter scooper. I admit it. I'm a member of the club. I'm a member of the club. And it's it's Um, crazy to me. Like it's, first of all, I've been in that situation where I've lit up a listing and I've looked at it and gone, okay, well, there goes my Friday night because I know I can't drink, keep track of multiple offers and serve people at the highest level. Now. You probably should know I'm a super lightweight. <laughs> so maybe there are some highly functioning two or three glass of winers that, that are in the business that can do it. I can't. Yeah. So it, it to your point, it really does make a difference and you have to set those reasonable expectations. Around that, I do think that agents do um, kind of a crappy job of setting um, expectations with their clients about the non-emergency and non-negotiating communication that's just not going to happen at 1130 at night right? Or at six o'clock on Sunday morning. So that's, if, if you're somebody who's, you know, stretched pretty thin with kiddos and trying to run a profitable business around the non-emergency stuff. And very frankly, there's very few emergencies in real estate. Like the only thing I want to be talking about after six o'clock at night is if we have a contract going on. I, I just really, everything else we could have handled before then I wake up in the morning, all the communication I need to do with vendors is done in the morning. Um, prior to 8 a.m., everything goes out because I, I want them working on what I want them working on. I just don't want to wait for stuff to blow up, which kind of takes my day off the rails. Um, but just being mindful of that, you know, have an email responder. I'm a huge proponent of that. Look, I check email twice a day. If this is an emergency, text me because right. I'm not going to live checking messenger and checking email and checking texts and whatever. And Jess will tell you, I'm the person that sometimes you're not going to get a text back right away. Cause I do put my phone down. Right. You know? right. And she does respond with her email responder. That is the truth. That is, <laughs> <laughs> that is not bullshit. Well, and what's great about that is it gives me grace. So mm-hmm. if they know I'm going to check at noon and five, if I get back to them at 10, they think they're a VIP. You know what I mean? And then I can work around everything. I don't have the tail wagging the dog all day long. 
and I, get a handle on that if you're going to balance everything. I've started to, in Colorado on our contracts, I don't know how everybody else has, but in Colorado on our datelines below the dates, there's an extra box that you can type or write something in on my inspection deadlines and my appraisal deadlines and deadlines where I know I'm possibly going to be working past 5 p.m. I put the deadline 5 p.m. If I don't have your resolution, I don't have your objection by this date at 5 p.m., so be it. Uh, mind blown. Love that one. Yep. I started doing that about a year and a half ago, two years ago, because we were, there was someone who called my team leader at 1030 at night, waking him up and his kids up because I, after that, I was like, done, I'm putting deadlines on there and it works. Yeah. I put 7 PM, but I do the same thing. So mine's seven. Right. I really love that. And to our earlier conversation about part-timers, this is the other problem. They're yep. getting work, they're eating dinner, and then they start working. It's like, dude, I've already been working since 7 a.m. Like, nice of you to show up. <laughs> but, you know, it makes it really complicated. So that would, I, I think that would eliminate a lot of this last minute stuff where you're like, and it's always, the deadline's always like up against a holiday or we finally have dinner plans to go out and see other humans <laughs> during COVID. And I'm waiting on your ass to send back a resolution. It's right. so frustrating. I love that. Love that. It would be kind of interesting to see the percentage of all the realtors in the United States right now, how many of them have a full-time job or a part-time job, what the percentage is. We should mm -hmm. find that out. I wonder what that was. It's got to be high. I can't imagine it's not like... NAR has got to have that statistic. God knows they have stats for everything. They've got to have a stat for that too. Okay. So last question. You have the most giant pain in the ass coaching client right here. Because it's true, which we need to read. In contention, I'm not sure you're the. <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty close. I'm in your top three. I would be willing to bet. Okay. So somebody listening to this today is like, God, I suck at systems, whatever. What's the first thing you have somebody do when they get on a coaching call with Stacey? Um, as far as talking about systems, if that's their concern. Just in general, like, you know, somebody called, like somebody decides to sign up with coaching. What's one of the first things that you have? What's one of their first action items after they get off the phone with you? I think the first thing is we have to have a conversation about where they are. Like we start from wherever you are. And some people are, you know, they have some stuff put together, but it doesn't really work with everything else they have. It could be a lot of different things. So the first step is always predicated on what, you know, the topic of our conversation was and where their gap is. And it's usually an action they can take and get a quick win with, um, you know, and we do that by design in the beginning. It gets harder as we go along, right? And, and implement things. But the one thing that I would tell you is we look for that pain point. Like, where could we make the biggest difference in your business right now? Like, what's keeping you up at night? Like, are you waking up at three going, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do that. You know, we might work on that. Um, if it's a system or time, you know, we'll, we'll build an action item about that. I don't know that there's one good answer for every client. Mm -hmm. um, I know with you, right, we had to figure out where you were. And you have some stuff fleshed out, like, perfectly and then you had a real pain point that we were going to talk about. So that's what we centered on. And for we are finding with each agent, it's really different. Oh, like with me, just to be candid, like 
we just haven't, I mean, we were, we started coaching together in May of last year and I like genuinely was lost. And I think if you've listened to us for a while, you can hear that, especially like the one we just released last week. Like I listened back to it and was listening to myself and was sitting in my own office crying, listening to myself. And I think the biggest thing for me was like, you have to get over this fear of having help. And then um, I got sick, I got COVID and I had to be completely dependent upon everyone around me. And here we are nine weeks later, which you and I need to pick back up now. That was probably a really good time to pick back up. (laughs) And it's, you know, it took something like that for me to take some of those action items that we've been talking about, which was get some goddamn help already, like enough. Like you can't run at this level without help and without systems. And so COVID in its own way ended up being a really huge blessing for me, as weird as that sounds. No, it's not weird at all. Again, there are opportunities everywhere. The minute you find yourself in overwhelm or something like that happening, it's it's like Mm -hmm. there are opportunities here and there are lessons for me and I really need Mm -hmm. to make the most of it and have that be your focus. Swear to Mm -hmm. God, it makes all the difference. And I, I think that we all were afforded an opportunity to reevaluate last year, what we do, what we did that was working, what wasn't working, what we could probably implement, like meeting people via Zoom, um, rather than just on the phone or running out to meet everybody and showing a house to just anybody. There, there were a lot of opportunities there in, in a big education. Um, I think as far as the asking for help thing, you know, if you're not going to ask for help, I mean, everybody has a different level they can aspire to before they just can't, they just can't go any further. You know, when you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. So you hear me say that all the time. You can't keep saying yes to stuff without realizing that by virtue of doing that, you're saying no to your family, no to your relationships, no to your friendships. Like we only have so many hours during the day. So I think getting back to that's really important. You know, we just had, um, or get the plan course online last week, just watching people go through the process of really prioritizing what they need to work on in their business. Like that in and of itself is huge. We don't need to do everything all at once. You know, success is sequential. It's not simultaneous. So putting the things you need to do in a sequence and only focusing on those things until you get those handled and then moving on can make a tremendous difference. So one thing I would say is get clarity on that. Everyone should get clear, absolute clarity on that. What is the the best conversation I should be having with myself and with my clients right now in January? It should be about listings. If you're not focused on listings this month, you're missing the boat. It's the only thing to talk about in real estate. That's it. That's it. So if you're not, if you're not dialed into that, you know, there's all this free training and free coaching and all this stuff. And everybody's got a massive case of like shiny object syndrome and FOMO in real estate. So everybody wants to look at all of this stuff and it really gets overwhelming. You need to pair it back to like right now, seriously, all you need to be thinking about is listings mm-hmm. and listings awesome. for the next 12 months, loading that pipeline for the rest of the year, getting into relationship with people having those conversations about, gosh, should we list? Should we renovate? Like find every way possible to get in with your, um, your database in your sphere and have those conversations. That's where your business is going to come from this year. Well, 63 transactions is my pain point, Stacey. We figured it out. (laughs) I heard the glass shatter all the way in Cleveland. (laughs) 
<laughs> so we figured it out. We've made it <laughs> on the other side. <laughs> it's a quality of life question. It's like how many yeah. people in our class last week said, hey, I, I made more money than I ever made and I'm absolutely freaking miserable. Mm-hmm. And you gave permission for people to say that out loud. And I got so many texts after that and people were just admitting, I, I don't like how it feels now that I got here at all. This was not you know, my definition of success or what I thought it would feel like. And so everybody's got to decide what that is for themselves and, and, and create that, you know, your family is very important to you. Boundaries in your life are very important to you. Focusing on that is critical and making that time as like leveraged as possible. Hey, Kristen, you should coach with her because she's like, she's a lot like me. (laughs) (laughs) Not as stubborn though, I don't think. I don't think so. Stubborn's <laughs> underrated. I think <laughs> seriously, like it can be an overused strength sometimes, but stubborn's good. Tenacious. Mm-hmm. We prefer tenacious. Tenacious does sound way better. I like that uh, way. Right? Right. Not now. I like that better. <laughs> My former <laughs> used to say, you know, you're kind of like a hound dog on a meat wagon. And I'm like, I think that's a good thing. <laughs> I'm like dialed into something and, and I'm clear as to what lies at the end of that for me. It's just, it's full on. And I think when we pare down our focus, that's the benefit of it. It just makes everything else easier. Well, I know I appreciate you and your friendship and your knowledge. And I'm thankful that I've met you and that you're part of my world. And I thank you for coming on with us today. I'm sorry that there's only half of us. <laughs> it's less intimidating. Well, I mean, that is the truth too. Thank you so much for your time today. Anytime, anytime. And what you guys are doing is so important. So keep having conversations so people can learn more. Um, as we're all kind of like floating on our own little icebergs out here in the COVID world, it's nice to dial into like-minded people and hear their thoughts. So congrats to you guys too, for making it such a success. But thanks guys for joining us today. Yeah. Bye. We hope you loved our show today. If you enjoyed it, do the homegirls a favor and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. Share this episode with all of your homegirls and friends and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at homegirlsco.